Welcome back to the Bridge Builder Podcast, an initiative of the Minnesota Catholic Conference. In each episode of the Bridge Builder, we try to help you connect your faith to the work of faithful citizenship and discipleship in the public arena. I'm Jason Adkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and joining me in studio is my co-host, Rachel Herbeck, Minnesota Catholic Conference Policy and Outreach Coordinator. Rachel, great to be with you as always. Yeah, good to be here again. A big thank you, first of all, to Relevant Radio 1330 AM for the use of their recording studio and to our sponsor for this episode of the Bridge Builder podcast, the Minnesota State Council of the Knights of Columbus. The Knights of Columbus are building the domestic church. Today's episode in the Bridge Builder, we have a fantastic guest to talk a little bit about the advancement of gender theory and its impacts on society and especially kids. Um, it's something that's becoming more and more prevalent, and we'll work and speak to someone who is really on the forefront of unmasking gender theory for what it is and the harm that it does to families and society. Emily Zenos with the coalition Hands Across the Aisle. Then in our Catholic classic Catholic social teaching segment, we're discussing Pope John Paul's encyclical Christofidelis Laici on the lay vocation in the modern world. In his 1988 letter, Pope St. John Paul II writes on the ladies' vocation and mission in the church after the Second Vatican Council. And then finally, in our bricklayer segment, we'll talk a little bit about how folks can get involved on important pieces of legislation at the end, as we as we near the end of the legislative session. Rachel, share with us a little bit about what people can expect in the bricklayer segment. Yeah, so as you just said, Jason, as we've talked about in some of our previous podcasts that we're in the swing of, of legislative session, so there's some important deadlines that have happened, and we've talked about ways in the past to keep track of important things that your legislators are going to be voting on, that they're going to be discussing. So we're going to talk about um, how do you keep up with those things and what you should be looking for at this point in the legislative session. Really, we got a really practical tool for you. Outstanding. That is fantastic. I'm going to try to stay untongue-tied the rest of this uh, podcast is <laughs> I am not uh, coherent this morning. Um, right now, we have a wonderful guest, Emily Zenos. She's in studio with us, which is outstanding, and she is with Hands Across the Aisle, really a national and international movement of women from all sorts of perspectives and across the ideological spectrum who've come together to stand in defense of human dignity. Emily has a long bio, but the important one is on her Twitter feed, which describes her as woman, wife, mother, Catholic. She also says, I've given birth seven times. You don't scare me. So um, she is bold and brave, and this is the type of person we need today in so many challenging contexts. So Emily Zenos, Faithful Citizen, welcome to the Bridge Builder podcast. Thank you for having me on, Jason. Oh, it's a delight, as always, to speak with you. Disclosure, Emily's a friend of mine, so... But that's okay. I can we can have friends you. Of you mine might on have visited me in the hospital after I'd had one of those seven children. And, I don't know. And it was a delight to do so. I'm sure. <laughs> so we we try to talk about faithful citizenship and modeling that. And and as we'll talk about in the podcast later, um, John Paul II's call to the faithful citizenship. He says it's not permissible for anyone to remain idle. And you really jumped into an issue when it had a personal impact on you and especially this issue of gender theory. So tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got involved with um, gender theory, and then what is Hands Across the Aisle? Okay, so, well, Hands Across the Aisle, I'll start with that. That's a global multipartisan women's coalition. It includes, you know, Democrats, Republicans. We've got pro-life women, pro-choice women, women all over the political spectrum. We differ in a lot of ways, but there are a couple things that we agree on. Um, essentially, 
gender identity ideology is hurting women and children. Um, and we also speak on some other issues that are periphery to that, things like surrogacy. Um, we're also opposed to surrogacy and united in that. Um, the reason that I got involved in this issue and um, found myself involved with Hands Across the Aisle is essentially an email that I got in October of 2015. My kids were at a public school in Minnesota, and the principal sent out an email that said there was going to be a uh, a boy in kindergarten who would be identifying as a girl, and that the only way the school could welcome him was to read the book I Am Jazz to all of the kids in the school, essentially introducing all of the kids to gender theory or gender identity ideology. Um, and my response at that time is still my response to this day, which is there is no child who is born in the wrong body. Every single child is born in exactly the body they were meant to be in, right? And we need to communicate that message. Great. Emily, go going off of that and just, you know, Jason's talking about jumping in two feet with faithful citizenship. Um, you know, we're, there's some people who may be listening. This issue is coming up a lot right now. It's really prevalent, this issue of gender theory. And I think a lot of Catholics are seeing it and seeing it play out. And there's just a lot of terms. There's It seems that there's a lot of complexities. Can you just define for people who may be listening, what is what is gender theory for people who kind of are seeing this play out and are saying, I know that, you know, this is wrong, you know, that this is not good. But as Catholics, I don't I don't know how to put words to it. I don't know where to start. Can you just define for people what is gender theory and how is it kind of making strides right now to make sense of it for people? Mm -hmm. Well, gender theory is a term that's typically used by the church or by Christians. It's a broad term that basically says, <clears throat> basically promotes a false idea that our body doesn't tell us who we are. Mm -hmm. And then as a result, there's no differences between the sexes. So thinking that the body doesn't matter is sort of what tipped that first domino um, that culminated in the sexual revolution and then its fallout that we're living in today. So thinking that the body's without meaning or purpose sort of undermines everything that we do and how we understand ourselves. You know, the conflict that we see between the sexes, you know, the decimation of marriage, artificial reproductive te technologies, abortion, surrogacy, all of those problems would, wouldn't be with us today if we weren't thinking that the body was up without meaning or purpose. Mm -hmm. Now, the work that I do with Hands Across the Aisle talks about gender identity ideology instead of gender theory because, you know, within the Catholic or Christian world, gender theory is very broad, right? Mm -hmm. And again, so we're talking about all of the effects that, that thinking the body doesn't have purpose could lead to. But in our coalition, we're very specifically focused on the notion of gender identity and how that negatively affects law and policy. And gender identity I define as a state of mind that's unrelated to the body and it's typically chosen. That's a direct contradiction, contradiction to sex. Sex is you know, fixed, it's unchangeable, you know, it's it's with us, it's it's who we are from conception until death, right? Mm -hmm. So it's it's a direct contradiction to sex. And when you have gender identity in the law um, next to sex or in pl in place of sex, you don't have sex based protections anymore. So you don't have women's rights, right? Mm -hmm. Oftentimes when we try to identify the problems in gender identity ideology um, we get a response uh, through the Minnesota Catholic Conference that the church doesn't say anything about gender identity ideology or gender theory or sex transitioning, et cetera, et cetera. 
how would you respond uh, to some of those arguments that really this is sort of uncharted territory? It's a new thing that technology can now do, uh, turn women into men and vice versa. And really the church hasn't spoken about this, so it's wrong for the Minnesota Catholic Conference, for example, to speak out against the harmful effects of gender ideology. And no, the church has been speaking out about this since basically forever. It's kind of an old heresy brought up again. You know, the yeah. idea that that our mind supersedes the body or that, mm-hmm. you know, the soul is is more important than the body or separate from the body. It's an it's an old idea that's just sort of come up again. Um, so you can find all sorts of things, all sorts of ways the church has addressed this through, you know, the catechism of the Catholic Church. Um, theology of the body is an amazing resource that I think a lot of us have been exposed to, but maybe not quite enough. Maybe that's something we could be introducing in our in our high schools. And even there are some programs now for grade schoolers. Um, You know, there's a fabulous teaching document um, from the USCCB called Gender Theory, Gender Ideology Select Teaching Resources. It's such a good PDF with quotes from the catechism, um, quotes from Laudato Si, quotes from the last three popes. Um, And then you know, Minnesota Catholic Conference has come out with this new fantastic document called Minnesota, Our Common Home, where you kind of bring some of these ideas in line with the church's teaching on integral ecology, about our the way the natural world works and how we are a part of it. And our body, you know, is, is something that we have to learn to accept and appreciate as it is, because that's who God created us to be as a man or a woman. Mm-hmm. Thanks for that shameless plug for Minnesota, (laughs) our common home. And it's one of the reasons we developed the resources to help us understand the gift of creation, whether it's the gift of the natural order, but also the gift of our bodies as well. And how do we effectively steward that, focusing on our identity as disciples, our identity is made in the image and likeness of God, and identity is made male and female, sexed people, not people with genders. So... Thanks for the plug for that, Emily, and I hope people will check that out on our website, mncatholic.org slash home to learn more. <laughs> um, I want to circle back to, you know, what you're saying, Jason, is you're talking about the separation of the body and the soul. And I want to circle back to something that you said at the end of the answer um, a couple of answers ago is about, about how this, you know, eliminates women's rights, essentially. You know, how this separation, you know, if you have no sex, if you have no gender under these under these things then that eliminates women's rights and i think we're seeing in the news and different stories people maybe who are listening have seen things in the news of the effect of this you know for example um men competing in women's sports or how this is affecting women particularly and i think it's important could you maybe share some of those stories that we're hearing or share how this is affecting um women in some of these different areas you know whether it's in sports or or different things mm-hmm yeah, gender gender theory or gender identity ideology, again, it directly contradicts sex. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the, you know, special opportunities and accommodations that we have based on sex can't exist anymore, right, right? if we try to insert the idea of gender identity. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the fact that we, we have um, separate teams for women, we can't have those anymore if gender identity is, is the basis for our athletic policies. You know, different bodies necessitate different treatment for different reasons. So when it comes to sports, different bodies between the sexes mean we have different abilities, Mm -hmm. right? When it comes to intimate facilities like locker rooms and restrooms, different bodies mean different spaces to protect both modesty and safety. You know, in both of these instances, women are the ones who are negatively affected by the lack of accommodations that 
to recognize the difference between the sexes because it's mm-hmm. women and girls that are disproportionately, you know, for one example, the victims of voyeurism and sexual assault mm-hmm. in those sorts of intimate spaces. And it's women and girls who can't simply identify into being stronger and faster so that mm-hmm. they can compete against boys. Mm-hmm. There are real limitations and advantages, right, to both sexes, but we can't simply think ourselves or feel ourselves out of those. Mm-hmm. They just exist. And we hope that the law would would recognize those. So, you know, part of part of what I do with hands across the aisle is mm-hmm. talk about that disproportionate negative effect that gender identity laws have on women mm-hmm. and girls and children. Mm-hmm. Speaking of laws, you've become an outstanding advocate at the Capitol, Emily, and there is a new piece of legislation that's being proposed, a constitutional amendment uh, that recognizes and protects people based on gender and uh, mandates equality, gender-based equality. Now, we already ban sex-based discrimination in statute. We ban discrimination based on gender identity. So what's the purpose of this constitutional amendment and what effects do you see it having on Minnesota? Why would proponents be pushing something that already seems like it's in law? Well, I think that they're trying to use the law as a pedagogical tool to teach gender identity ideology or to teach mm-hmm. gender theory to everyone. You know, they want to make it explicit, number one, to all public accommodations that they can't distinguish between the sexes. And then they want to pressure schools, businesses, really everyone who provides policies or facilities that distinguish between the sexes. They want to pressure them into preemptively eradicating those those accommodations. Um, you know, the whole premise of gender theory is irrational. It makes no sense. It makes no sense to the average person. It makes no sense to the average five-year-old. Okay. Mm-hmm. So in order to to get people to buy in, you've got to use the strong arm of the law. You've got to use pressure. You've got to use almost totalitarian tactics mm-hmm. to get people to buy in. And I think that's at the core of why they're pushing this Equal Rights Amendment. That's Minnesota Catholic Conference opposes the amendment because for the reasons you said, Emily, it it functions like a super statute, right? Like what you couldn't do in a piecemeal way um, in a short period of time precisely because it would be controversial, precisely because there'd be a lot of pushback. Um, Advocates can point to this super statute, this mandate that you correctly said as a pedagogical function, but it can also be used to coerce action where otherwise we couldn't get action at a piecemeal level to mandate some of these things and there would be pushback from the public. So I think you're absolutely right. Minnesota Catholic Conference is opposed to this amendment. And if it does get on the ballot, we'll be encouraging and educating people to vote no on it. Um, you've been effective at building bridges across the ideological spectrum with a lot of different people. Um, tell us how that's in a partisan climate that we're operating in today. There's so much division, so much polarization. We just assume the worst about anyone who doesn't agree with us oftentimes. Um, there just seems so much division. How can Catholics transcend that partisanship and really build bridges and work together to find common ground with people who disagree with us, even on fundamental issues for the common good? Well, I think one thing is don't be a conspiracy theorist. Don't assume that people on the other side of the aisle are out to get you directly or that there won't be some way in which you could work together. Um, You know, a lot of times we're looking at some of these issues from a very broad perspective. But when you break them down into smaller bits and pieces, you can find places where you'll have agreement with someone on the other side. Um, Like, for example, gender theory isn't going to fly with hands across the aisle members, but gender 
gender identity ideology, right, that does. Because when we're talking specifically about gender identity as a legal protection, I can find agreement with women who are pro-choice or feminist or, or what have you. Um, you'd be surprised at, at how much people will agree with you, you know, if you if you step out there boldly. Also, if you're if you're a friend to someone, um, if you're charitable in your discourse on these issues, you'd be surprised at how far that can go as mm -hmm. well. I think a lot of times we assume uh, they're our enemy because we disagree and we won't find common ground and we treat them as such. I think that's a mistake. I think that we've we've burned that bridge before we've even crossed it. Then we haven't we don't have an opportunity anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's so important because I think even as Catholics, you know, and I even think some of my own experience in advocacy is we don't I don't look different enough, you know, from from how other people are acting and we want to look different from the rest of the world. So even sometimes as Catholics, we fall into stiff-arming people based on what we think we know about them before we even try. You know, we assume you're not on my team, you know, before we even see can you be, can we work together on the same team? So I think that's really, really important. Um, and, you know, as we've mentioned, you know, in the, throughout this whole podcast, you are an amazing advocate. You do so many amazing different things you got your hand and everything from you know gender ideology to surrogacy and so for for people who are listening you know as doing outreach a lot of the things i've encountered with people who want to be advocates who, who want to step forward on some of these issues they just don't know where to start you know it feels the process feels too hard it feels overwhelming you know so what what advice would you give um you know just a regular person in the pews who wants to become an advocate on some of these things or get more involved? Well, I think all of us have a story or have some reason that we're passionate about an issue, right? And I think we're meant to be passionate about that issue or we're meant to take that passion into the public square. You know, I probably wouldn't be involved with this issue if it hadn't been for that email that I got mm -hmm. at our kids' school and then, you know, the the fight that ensued after that. I wouldn't be involved with this issue. Right. There's probably something in your life that you're passionate about as well. Um, or there's, you know, someone you know, right, who's been mm -hmm. affected by an issue, don't just sort of roll over and take that as, well, you know, oh, well, nothing mm -hmm. I can do about it. There's always something you can do about it. There's always something you can say. And when you step out and say something in boldness, but also in charity, someone is watching and that's mm -hmm. contagious. You know, mm -hmm. someone is going to take that initiative because they saw you take it. Mm -hmm. Every time we speak out publicly, I think what we're doing is sort of giving permission to someone else who maybe was afraid to say something before. But if you can say it, maybe they can too. And pretty soon you've got a few people on your side. Um, and I, I think also it's important that we we tell the truth about who we are, right? Like we don't need to step into political activism or the public square in any way and hide the fact that we're Catholic. Mm -hmm. I think we should be totally upfront about that. And I think people appreciate that kind of honesty, um, because there's there's a lot that our faith can contribute to what we have to say, but it also, I think it's also a witness to other people that, you know, as Catholics, we are a part, we mm -hmm. are a part of the political system. We're not afraid. Yeah. yeah. Emily, what's one story you can share with us about um, having an encounters with people on this issue of gender ideology and your ability to foster a dialogue with them or even bring them over to your side? And what do you think was the reason for why you were effective in doing so? Um, well, you know, I have I have a, 
a couple of friends who I have made through Hands Across the Aisle that it started off with, you know, a shared concern over, for example, medical transitioning of kids. And um, that that gave us an opening to have conversations and to develop a deepening friendship. Um, But it also gave me an opportunity to share some of the church's teachings, right, from like a friendly and neutral common, not I shouldn't say common ground, but sort of a friendly, neutral place, right? We agree on this one issue. So let me tell you, let me share with you some of these other ideas that the, say, the Catholic Church has contributed. And that was an opening. That was sort of like a crack, an open door to to this friend um, that I have to take take a look at the Catholic Church, right? I think that part of part of the reason we get involved in the public square and political activism is not just to can bring what the church has to say into politics, but also to invite people to have a look at the church, give the church a second chance. Um, so my, my friend is now coming back to the Catholic Church, um, as well as her husband. Um, she's a dear friend. Um, but that opportunity wouldn't have happened, right, had I not taken a step out and said, I'm going to come out, I'm going to come out and say things about this issue, but I'm going to say it as a Catholic. Kind of invited her to have a look at the church. That's a great way to think about our advocacy in the public arena. It's not politics for politics sake. We want to protect human persons because they're creating the image and likeness of God, and we want to stand up for their dignity, and we want to stand up for justice. But we do politics for the sake of the gospel, and Emily, you've captured that principle so beautifully. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks for all your good work. Emily Zenos with Hands Across the Aisle and Minnesota Family Council. Thanks so much, Emily. Thank you, Jason. We'll be back in a moment. We are back with our classic Catholic social teaching segment. Oftentimes we try to do uh, look at documents that are celebrating anniversaries. We missed an important one. Uh, we're just a little tardy on it, but no but no big deal. Christa Fidelis Laici uh, on the vocation and mission of the lay faithful in the church in the modern world. Pope John Paul II, Pope St. John Paul II from 1988. So almost the, it's a little past its 30th anniversary, but an important one. Who are we? We're talking about faithful citizenship. What is the vocation of the lay faithful? And in particular, what's the vocation of the lay faithful in the public arena? As we mentioned earlier in our discussion with Emily Zenos, John Paul II uh, reminds us that it's not permissible for anyone to remain idle. So it's not as though we can't uh, sit on the sidelines and delegate the task of engagement and discipleship in the public arena to someone else. It's, in fact, our responsibility to be salt and light, um, both individually and as communities, in our uh, world. So as he says, you go into my vineyard too, um, quoting the scriptures. So how can we change things in our corner of the vineyard? Rachel, what struck you in this encyclical um, that you think people, our listeners, should really know that John about what John Paul II says about discipleship, particularly in public life? Yeah. I mean, there's, as, as usual with St. John Paul, there's so much here. There are so many nuggets. That's why we always encourage you to go read it yourself. And as you mentioned, Jason, I, I love his strong start. He calls us, he calls us out. He calls us on from the very beginning. And I think that scripture um, from, from Matthew is so piercing that question. Why do you stand here idle all day? And honestly, when I read it, when I read this first, I was convicted um, in my heart as I read talking about, it's not permissible for anyone to remain idle that, um, you know, sitting around and complaining about 
the way things are to people that agree with me is the same as remaining idle. You know, just because I talk about it a lot and complain about things a lot doesn't mean I'm taking action. And so I think sometimes I can fall into that. I know like my friends and family, we can fall into that trap of thinking, oh, we're talking about it a lot with the people who agree with us. And a lot of times we even fall into being cynical and complaining about it. That's not, that's still being idle. You know, that's standing on the sidelines. Watching politics on TV uh, for hours upon hours to, quote, be informed. This is one of my favorite. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm informing myself watching MSNBC or Fox News for hours and hours, um, neglecting the fact that it's the same news cycle repeating itself every 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. But sitting watching TV is not doing politics. Right. And so mm-hmm. politics, as he reminds us, uh, has as its goal the pursuit of the common good. It should be done in a spirit of service and in part of our as part of our discipleship as a mode of evangelization. That's why it's so great that we had Emily Zenos mm-hmm. in to talk with us a little bit earlier because she didn't sit idly by. She was a homemaker, mm-hmm. you know, just a, a person in the pew, just like us. And, yeah. and she took the initiative. She mm-hmm. saw a problem in front of her and then worked to address it really proactively. And now she's become not just a local advocate against gender ideology, but really a global one as well, a global voice. And it's a powerful one. So with the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be given the gifts that we need to be effective in the public arena, but we can't sit idly by. Mm -hmm. And I think Emily was a great example, particularly, I, I love that having that particular example of this gender theory and this gender ideology, this particular issue that she's working on. Because one part that I love in here is he talks about how faith, um, our faith throws this new light on things. And it doesn't just give us a, a quote unquote spiritual solution, but it actually allows us to see solutions to problems that are most fully human, you know? And so, um, so faith isn't say, oh, here's the Catholic solution or here's the Christian solution. Um, faith enlightens our hearts and our minds to be able to see things rightly so that we can make a judgment, make a decision and a contribution and a solution about something that's most fully human, you know? And I think, you know, Emily and what they're doing, shows that in a really particular way of the light of faith being cast on this struggle for people being cast on this gender ideology really show cuts through the confusion and says wait a minute you know in the light of faith this is actually the thing that's most human oftentimes to your point rachel people look at politics or social mission and they circumscribe what that actually means or they think they have to do what other people are doing when the point that you're making that and drawing out from Pope John Paul II is that the Holy Spirit gives us the eyes to see the challenges and the needs in front of us in our corner of the vineyard that we can speak to and that we can address. So you don't need to be Emily Zenos or you don't need to be a politician or you don't need to be an advocate. You can do all sorts of different things based on what the gifts God has given you and the place in which he has planted you. And I think that's really the important under, you know message that John Paul II has given to us. We're all planted on our own corner of the vineyard. We all have different calls gifts, but also different responsibilities to heal the world and the place in which we're planted. Mm-hmm. And then the necessity, you think you mentioned it before, but to listen to the Holy Spirit, you know, to help you find that particular that particular thing. You know, what issue is breaking your heart? What issue are you personally connected with? Where is God calling you to use your gifts? And, you know, my dad always has the saying, he says, a disciple, if you're a disciple, you know what God's saying to you and what he's asking you to do about it. You know, so that's the life of a disciple, you know, is not sitting by idly. But how is God speaking to me in relation to 
what's happening in the world in relation to the pressing needs of the world. And that requires silence. That requires prayer and listening to the Holy Spirit to push us into action. He does, John Paul too, though, highlight one particular area of concern. He's reading the signs of the times and encourages us to read the signs of the times. And he highlights the threat to the dignity of the human person, mm-hmm. right? These questions, these great questions uh, that r- involve uh, all kinds of threats on so many different levels to the dignity of the human person, the sanctity of human life in general. And he calls our attention more deeply to these questions and ones that need to be given particular attention and need particular work. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, one particular thing, and this is why we encourage you to read it, is he, you know, I think we, we have the thing that comes to mind usually when we talk about human dignity and violations of human dignity as degrading human dignity, which is absolutely happening. And that's how he reads the signs of the times. But he also has this other really interesting observation of two things are happening at once in our culture, right? There's the degrading of human dignity. There's, you know, um, you know, we have all the abortion and all these different things that degrade human dignity. But then on the same, at the same time, there's also in a lot of different ways, an unnatural elevation of, of the human being as well to different ways that we um, we treat other humans as idols, you know. And so I think it's really important, especially with the things going on in our culture. Um, it's really interesting to have that dichotomy, those two those two things at the same time. That the same the same forces that degrade human dignity, um, you know, the same you know forces of evil and for ultimately forces of of death and the culture of death are the ones that elevate. Um, human dignity to be idols. Mm-hmm. He talks, he proposes as a solution or as a response to these challenges of uh, degradations of human dignity, an authentic humanism. Mm-hmm. But he's quick to point out that an atheistic humanism can fall into the traps that you're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. So humanism has to be rooted in Christian anthropology, a vision of the person created the image and likeness of God. Otherwise, it falls into an atheistic humanism, which actually can be and has been destructive, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of rich material in this um, letter from John Paul II, Christopher Ellis Leachy from 1988, a worthwhile document for your responsibility as a faithful citizen in the public arena. We'll be back in a moment. We are entering our bricklayer segment. We try to give practical information to Catholics to live faithful citizenship. Oftentimes we think of politics as these this battle of huge forces on big picture issues um, all the time that, uh, you know, consumes the media and consumes our, uh, our news feeds and everything else. But the work of politics is not the big battles on the big sexy issues. The work of politics, the real work of politics, I should say, is that brick by brick, incremental change for the common good. We can't do great things, as Mother Teresa said, but we can all do small things with great love. And I think that's a great mentality to bring into political life. That's why we call this the bricklayer segment, because the common good is built brick by brick. So we try to give you practical tips for doing so. On on, on this episode of the bricklayer, some practical tips about information uh, that people need to know about at the Capitol. 
Yeah, so there's a lot happening at the Capitol. We're in, you know, we've been in full swing with legislative session. And if you've listened to our other podcasts, we've we've talked about um, legislative session before and kind of what you can do. And so I want to mention again at this at this juncture in the session a tool, a really practical tool that the Minnesota Catholic Conference provides, and that's a bill tracker um, that you can find on our website. So you can find this at mncatholic.org, um, and then it's it's really easy to find there from the main page. The bill tracker is a tool that really takes it. There's so many bills introduced, so it condenses some really important issues on there um, that we flag for you and keep track of what's happening with these. You know, there there are things that we're saying Catholics should be aware of these things. Um, and the, the bishops have taken certain stances on them. And um, it's a way that you can track where these bills are going. You can see where, you know, if your legislator has signed on to these bills, you know, where where different people are at. And so I know we've mentioned that before. I wanted to mention it again because we're further along in our legislative session now. Um, and so there's more happening. You know, there's been some bill deadlines. There's bills on there that have been heard in different committees and have been referred to the next step in the legislative process. And so I would encourage you, even if you've done it before, get back on there and see where the bills are going. It's really important, and I think that's what we've seen as effective advocacy, those who have taken action with us, is to be able to follow where these issues are going, you know, and be able to follow them through the process um, to be able to make a difference and to also have a better understanding of how it of how the process works. Um, so again, look, take a look at our bill tracker, um, mncatholic.org forward slash action center um, is the exact URL for that, and then click on bills. You'll see it right there. So that'll pull that up. Great tool for you to keep track of what's happening this legislative session. And there are, <clears throat> excuse me, there are thousands of bills introduced every session, right? Mm-hmm. But we take a position and highlight only a very small fraction of those, primarily because as we talked about earlier, it's the, it's the vocation of the lay faithful to bring Catholic teaching and gospel values into the public arena. But the bishops as teachers have a responsibility to help Catholics translate Catholic social teaching and Catholic social principles into concrete uh, pieces of legislation and then highlight ones as their role as shepherds, not just shepherds of the souls of Catholics in their diocese, but shepherds who are uh, really um, commissioned to be to speak out in defense of all the souls in their diocese. They're bishops of all the souls in their diocese, not just Catholics, but to speak for their well-being so the issues that are highlighted are issues that intersect really strongly with questions of life and dignity, and it's important that Catholics know about those, and we hope that Catholics will join their voices to the voices of the bishops um, and the Minnesota Catholic Conference staff at the Capitol on those particular questions. So great way to stay up on what's going on at the Capitol. The bill deadlines have passed, as if you are listening to this podcast, the main the policy bill deadlines have passed, and so really some of the wheat has been separated from the chaff, and only the things that are really serious about moving forward are, are going forward right now, but it's a great time to take action, a great time to weigh in through the Minnesota Catholic Conference Action Center. Yeah, absolutely. So so jump on that, mncatholic.org, again, forward slash Action Center, and it'll be right there for you. Click on Bills, and that's a great resource. Again, a big thank you to Relevant Radio 1330 AM and our sponsor for this episode, the Minnesota State Council of the Knights of Columbus. The Knights of Columbus are building the domestic church. And thank you for listening. Make sure to that you share this podcast with all your friends and family and even people you maybe you're not even friends with, uh, even your enemies. we got to love our enemies, and sharing the truth is a spiritual work of mercy. What better way to end a podcast of great conversations than with great sacred music? 
You probably have heard this one a fair bit around St. Patrick's Day, but it's always worth listening to. Here's a Gaelic blessing performed by the National Catholic Youth Choir at St. John's Abbey and University in Collegeville, Minnesota. A Gaelic blessing. God bless you.